welcome back. Time for another episode with Sales Pipeline Radio. So grab your board. We're going to swim out into that sea of ideas with the master surfer, Mr. Matt Hines. All right. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. Really excited to have everyone joining us today. Uh, if you're listening to this live on the Funnel Media Radio Network, thanks for joining us as always uh, during your busy work day. If you're joining us through the podcast, thanks again for joining us. You can find us on where all podcasts are found, Stitcher. You can find us on the iTunes store, on Google Play, and a variety of different places. And every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio past present and future is always available at salespipelineradio.com. Each week we are featuring some of the best and brightest minds in B2B sales and marketing. And today is absolutely no different. Very excited to have with us Jerry Bruner. He is the chief revenue officer for Scout RFPs. Uh, Jerry, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Matt. Thank you for having me. Very excited to uh, join Sales Pipeline Radio and, and appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. So I have I have many many questions, but I think I have to start with the question that all of America is wants the answer to: How exactly does a guy who studied economics and started his career as an investment banker at Smith Barney take the next move as basically a telephone salesperson and move into a career in sales? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I remember when I took that job, when I made that transition, my parents and my girlfriend, then fiance, then wife at the time all thought I was I was crazy and lost my marbles. You know, I'd, coming out of business school, I had all this debt and they said, wait, you're going to go into telesales for a software company? You're an investment banker. You can be a venture capitalist in a heartbeat. You had a bunch of offers. Why don't you go do that? Uh, it was, it was, so it took me a couple of minutes to wrap my head around it and explain everyone. But at the end of the day, when, when I was coming out of school, what I did was I read up and followed all the leaders that I imagined uh, and really impressed me that I wanted to be like. And I read some great books and autobiography. I took about five of them. And what I noticed about all of them, all the really great leaders that I that I admired all had different uh, skill sets. And they had accumulated the skill sets through working within different departments within a business. So I set out to do that very specifically. And I built a plan where I, every year or two, I would build a new skill set with the idea after 15 years I'd uh, be able to run my own business unit. Well, it seems to be working out. I mean, you know, you uh, have risen through the ranks at companies, including Siebel, where you, you know, started your sales career up through Calvis Software, SAP Dropbox, and now with Scout. And yeah, I mean, you, you really have followed that plan because, you know, you have you have been running or responsible for areas, uh, a more diverse set of areas of sales and marketing than you see in most resumes, right? I mean, you've been a, card, a, a quota-carrying sales rep. You've run sales operations. You've been a director of marketing and then all the way up to so now owning uh, both sales and marketing. What I mean, that's a fairly unique and for I think for many people, a very attractive set of uh, sort of functional areas to have spent time on. Why is it important, do you think, now looking in retrospect, to have had direct experience in each of those functional areas across both sales and marketing? I think it's super important for any executive, and, and especially if you want to be a very uh, functioning executive that can work across multiple disciplines. It's very easy to be in the sales position if you want to be a sales leader and to rise up from inside sales to mid-market sales to field sales and then to become sales manager and sales leader. And that's great. I know a lot of a lot of people do that and they're, and they're exceptional leaders. Um, for me, if you really want to make an impact on a business and be able to transform that business, you have to be able to work across multiple disciplines. And just because you're in sales, if you're leading the sales department, 
the best way to lead that sales department is you know how to leverage marketing or if you know how to really utilize sales operations to get the best for your team or to work with solution engineering or marketing uh, and engineering as well. So I thought all those disciplines were super important. I've received them. It makes it a whole lot easier now when I walk over to marketing and I say, okay, when I was there for a year, and I wasn't very good at marketing for a year, but I did it and I knew how to operate it. <laughs> this is what I'm looking for. This is what I think we can do. How do we work together to get the best for our work? Well, let's talk a little more about that sales and marketing relationship. I think, you know, in many companies, it can be described somewhat as adversarial, right? I think you've got two organizations that's that hopefully are working with the best of intentions, but uh, they're different animals. And I think that oftentimes people will look at a chief revenue officer who has who comes up from mostly a sales background and say, well, this is just a VP of sales who got a promotion. Marketing's not going to have any broader authority or have sort of have, have a good voice in the, in the conversation. Talk about a little more about how you at Scout have sort of combined sales or marketing, and specifically from a culture standpoint. What are some things that you've done to help the team work as one cohesive unit? Yeah, it's the age old sales and marketing. I, I generated a lead, but sales didn't close it or marketing didn't generate enough leads for me to close in sales. It's, it's the point of failure. That was why it was very important for us to make sure it was one team and one face. And the buck stops with me when it comes to that. So uh, there's no one to complain to or no one to point fingers at. The first thing is to make sure we all spoke a common language. And by that, I mean, hey, what do we qualify as a lead, right? How do we qualify? Where did we source it? When is it an actual qualified lead? When we close a deal and revenue, where did that come from? How do I trace it back? Once I get agreement on that with all people, that makes it very easy for us to work as one team. And then it's really interesting when you start putting incentives in place. I believe compensation drives behavior in, in every department. When you start aligning people's goals and their commissions, both in marketing and sales, a percentage of it to qualified leads, closed leads, source revenue from each side so they have common goals. It's amazing how suddenly people start working really closely together. Yeah. And I think if you put your money where your mouth is, you know, it makes a big difference. Talk a little bit about as well, you know, there's compensation and then there's sort of what people's metrics are. But then, you know, a lot of organizations, sales and marketing, they struggle with the issue of credit and attribution. Is that solved by the compensation answer or how do you make sure that like in a complex environment, what, I mean, what you guys are selling is specifically, you know, it is it is not a one call close. It is many yeah. steps, like lots of touch points across sales and marketing. How do you solve or at least address the issue of credit and attribution? There's there's no panacea for, for solving that. Uh, at least I've never heard. And, and I've looked at some of the people that have been on sales pipeline radio, Matt, and, and they've, you've got some luminaries on there, very experienced people that have had huge success. Uh, I don't think they have a right answer for this one. So, yeah, there's there's ways you can not make that the most primary objective for both departments. And the way we do it is we put the customer at the center of our universe. Our number one value is obsessed over our customer. So customer success is everyone's responsibility. So if we put that at the center and think, okay, how do we engage with a customer? How do we bring a customer along? How do we service a customer after? And how do we repeat that cycle and make that the number one priority and the number one commission and the number one objective whether it's OKR, commission, or combination, then suddenly attribute and complete sourcing, while those are important for where we should put our time and resources, they don't become the arguing point. The arguing point or the discussion point for us becomes, how do we better serve our customers? 
How do we reach out to more customers? How do we better engage the ones we have? Talking today on Sales Pipeline Radio with Jerry Bruner. He's the Chief Revenue Officer at Scout RFP. And talking a little bit about sales and marketing working together, everything from objectives to function to culture. People sometimes bring preconceived notions from past jobs to the table. You know, I think there's operational, there's strategic alignment, right? Of, you know, we all agree we have the same objective. And then there's uh, operational alignment in terms of knowing what we need to do on Tuesday morning. How important is it to take that, hey, we all believe in the same thing. We're working with the best of intentions and really get specific and tactical to make it work. If you speak to anybody uh, on, on my team or ever working, you know, you know, details matter. A bunch of little things equal a big thing uh, at the end of the day. So uh, I, I believe in jumping into the details. Even as a chief revenue officer, I still jump into details in terms of down to the very metric. How many customers have we reached out to? How many have we followed up? What's our time to get to them? What's the time to come back? You have to be very specific when you're an executive. I believe you have to set the vision and the top level But then you also have to work with your leaders and your managers and your business unit directors. What are the key metrics and the key details that we're going to focus on a daily, weekly and monthly basis to achieve those top line goals and make sure we agree upon all those? It has to be simple. It has to be easy to follow and has to be achievable. It has to be super clear to everyone in the organization what they're focusing on and how they achieve their job. And sometimes that leads to metrics that are not what companies are used to seeing from marketing, right? So if we're saying, you know, if marketing has historically been focused on generating leads, then a lot of companies say, well, we want to see the most leads possible for marketing. That may be counterproductive. It may be more important for marketing to actually generate fewer leads, but better leads. And so you and your organization, if you own sales and marketing, you can say, you can tell people, okay, this is what we're focused on. You then have to report to your boss, the CEO. You guys have to report to a board, right? That may have traditional preconceived notions of to the right charts, more is better from marketing. So there's the culture change within your team. And then there's the culture change to your peers, to your to your manager and to your board. How do you manage through that? Yeah, that's a, that's never easy as well. When, when you're shifting things, and I can imagine transformation of any organization, like Scout, we were fortunate. We, we grew some 300% year over year. That is great. Uh, and that buys you a little leeway. Don't get me wrong. You know, when I started, we still had to walk through it. And, and we had to walk through it from the very beginning. And the very beginning was, here's our plan. And here's how we're going to be successful. And here's what we're going to measure. And here's why. And you have to deliver that at every level. Okay. At the board, here's the highest level metrics and objectives we have to the CEO and executive team, everybody, here's what we're going to achieve and here's our plan. And then all the way down to the individual contributor. That changes the way you think of things when you have a plan and a metric and a why. Don't get me wrong. There's a little skepticism and there was a little of, you know, are you sure you're doing the right thing? Are you sure you're changing and focusing on the right areas? But when you deliver the great customer stories that we have and see how successful our customers are, that makes believers out of most people. Well, we're talking today on Sales Platform Radio again with Jerry Bruner. He's the Chief Revenue Officer at Scout RFP. We're going to have to take a quick break and pay some bills. We'll be right back. We'll talk more about sales and marketing. We're going to talk a little bit about the complexity and the uh, historical pain inherent in the RFP and sourcing opportunities. And we're also going to be talking about how to balance you know, growing in your career as well as giving back. All coming up on Sales Platform Radio. <music> How do my peers make buying decisions? It's a question on the mind of nearly every B2B marketing leader, yet also one without the clearest of answers. What's their involvement like throughout the purchasing process? What drives their ability to make better decisions? 
and where do you stand compared to them? Read the new research report from Path Factory and Heinz Marketing to get inside the head of a marketing leader in the buyer's journey and find out. Visit HeinzMarketing.com's resource section. That's H-E-I-N-Z Marketing.com and the resource tab for your free copy today. And now back to Matt and his guest. Welcome back to Sales Pipeline Radio. My guest today is Jerry Bruner. He's the Chief Revenue Officer at Scout RFP. And I mean, Jerry, in addition to your resume, where you have you have done a number of uh, had a number of sales and marketing roles across many organizations uh, in your rise to you know the Chief Revenue Officer role, you also clearly prioritize giving back to the community. You are on the board of directors, or have been on the board of directors for several organizations including the Boys and Girls Club of San Francisco and the Mission Dolores Academy. Why has that been an important part of just where you spend your time? Because I think like it's one thing to say, well, these are things that are important to me. Like everyone's got things that are important to them that they either they talk about and evangelize or maybe they give money to. It's a whole other thing for a busy person like yourself to spend time on this. Talk about why that's been so important. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I'll share with you first because it's the most important personally, but also share with you, Matt, professionally why I thought it was important. Personally, I grew up and my family, I grew up in a very small town, had 450 people and, and dirt roads. I didn't have cable until I was a senior in high school. So that when that small community, you become a part of that community and being a part of the community is, is not just living there, but giving back. With all due respect to all the listeners and where you live, Matt, I think San Francisco is the best community in the world and I want to make it better. And there are a lot of people who in executive leadership positions uh, that I admire, Mark Benioff being one of them, who who find the time to give back and make their community better. So I think I'm not as busy as him or most of the other leaders. So I will always find time to, to make the community I'm in better and, and do what I can to, to help it become a better place to live for everybody. No, I love that. I think there, I mean, there's, I think sometimes when you justify things based on those personal goals, obviously there's a fulfillment there, but just like, you know, going out and playing softball at night or going out and doing something else, there's a level of energy that you get personally that you can bring back to your job. Mm-hmm. That you can bring back to your family from doing things that make you feel good, that, that are fulfilling based on the impact they can have on your life, on other lives in your community. Yeah. You will never, you know, at Mission Dolores Academy or I'm on the board, I go to the graduating uh, ceremony every year and, and 99 percent of the people who attend are on financial aid so they're below the poverty line in san francisco and and you you meet the parents and you meet the students and, and most of the parents are, are, are you know english as a second language if that at all and and you see that they're going to high school and you know probably going to college and it's uh, it's it's more rewarding than any almost anything professionally you'll, you'll do so uh, i do think that's a great work let me share with you why professionally i think it's a great idea for people to give back as well now, besides the rewarding, impactful that is for the community, it also gives you really great business experience. Um, leading volunteers, <laughs> people who work for you now, normally do do what you ask them to, or they feel that you know they you know might get moved or not get their bonus. If you can organize and lead a group of volunteers, that shows you how to really deal with people well, effectively at all levels. And especially if you get a volunteer and, and be on a board or see how our board operates, all boards operate the same way. And if you get to be a part of one, not only do you get to do something great for your community, but you get to learn a, a professional skill on on dealing with people and, and dealing with decisions that board makes and review. Amen to that. And I think that is a really important thing that I think a lot of people may not think about relative to investing time in nonprofits, especially if you can serve on the board, is there's, there's that 
interpersonal dynamic. There's that dynamic of taking people with different perspectives and sort of helping to drive some consensus. It becomes a crucible for doing that within your team, within your own board professionally. When you're working at one company, you get one opportunity to do that. When you can add to that, you know, nonprofit boards, it just it, it adds a multiplier to your ability to to learn from that. We've got just a few more minutes here with uh, Jerry Bruner, the Chief Revenue Officer of Scout RFP. And I know you're crazy busy. This is the uh, this is the last month of the quarter for you guys. So appreciate you taking a couple of minutes to do this. Speaking of the quarter and trying to close deals, uh, most people listening to this call probably cringe when they hear the, the acronym RFP. Um, it is not something people like to respond to. It is not like something people actually like to create in most cases as well. It is a painful process for everyone involved. Talk a little bit about what Scout does in that realm. I'm very, I'm very curious to hear, and I think people, people would be interested to hear, is there something that we can do to make this a little less painful for both sides? Yeah, it's amazing to me how painful it is. And, and for everyone who's received an, an RFP and had to fill it out and how painstaking and arduous that was and responded, anyone who's had to create one, send it out and then review and compare all the responses, it's a hundred times worse. When we were starting and, and we have two great co-founders who, who started the bills, they found a real business need. How do I make this better for all parties involved? And so that's where we really started. So now when you have unbelievable brands, Fortune 500s that are working with us and buying hundreds of millions of dollars worth of items every single day, they've streamlined that, they've saved costs, they've increased efficiency, and they've made it a better experience for both. I think people think of this as a process improvement, perhaps, but I think this can be a competitive differentiator as well, can it not? I mean, I think that you know, increasingly I hear people say, you know what, I just, all right, we don't respond to RFPs because they are so painful and because it's such a in some cases, arbitrary process. If you can improve the process and you can get more people willing to participate in the program, as a seller, you're able to get involved in more opportunities that you can help. And as a buyer, you get more better opportunities. You get more better options from people that are engaging that are actually going to deliver better results as well. Yeah, it really helps everyone all around. And, and you know, the, the terrible thing about, you know, RFPs that everyone knows is respond to it. You hear no update. You don't know what's happening. You know, six months later, you get an email. Yes or no. Right. And um, so that's from both sides. You don't know if someone's going to reply. They don't know, you know, if they left out some items. What we've done is you know, we just made things simpler. I mean, we help companies buy things. No way around it. That's that's what we do. And every company buys things. So what we do is we say, hey, everyone can always check on the latest status of it. We will give full visibility to both uh, internal and external stakeholders on status of the project, who sits with it, who's got questions, who doesn't have questions, who's ranked highest and who's not ranked highest in terms of uh, responding and who's in the best position to win. All that visibility we can provide. Love it. Well, we just got a couple more minutes here with Jerry Bruner. So thankful for him to uh, have taken some time with us today. And Jerry, just I think is the last question. Just want to ask you something that we ask most of our guests around the idea of just people that have been influential for you in your rise in your career. It could be authors, it could be professors, it could be mentors, former managers. Who are some people that you kind of look to and, and might recommend other people check out as well that have been influential to you in your professional career? I'll throw a couple different ones at you and, and, and I'll explain why, Matt. Thank you for this last question. And thank you again. It really is an honor to, to be joining you today. I know it's a platitude, but everyone says they're parents. <laughs> but let me just explain why. My father was one of 11 uh, who, who was raised during the Great Depression in Kansas who didn't graduate high school. He had the largest vocabulary I've ever heard in my life. He read probably two books a week. 
he used words like prestidigitation. You know, he ran, joined the Navy at 17 and became a, a civil engineer. For him, it was always, you know, you had to be the best person you could be. So, you know, I look up to him and what he's done and, and the family he's raised and his accomplishments. And, and truly, uh, I think that's, that's uh, amazing. That's number one. Number two, I look at some authors that I really like and, and I can't put down, you know, Malcolm Gladwell being one, although I've never met him. I've heard him speak. But if you read all his books, whether it's, you know, you know, Outliers, The Tipping Point or, you know, my personal favorite, Blink, trust your intuition, trust your gut and, and you'll know what to do is right. My gut told me, you know, run a business unit someday and to be an executive and to be the best executive, I had to have multiple skills. That's what my gut told me. And, and so I went about doing that as well. And then when you look at famous leaders in the world and, and you think of, you know, you know coaches and players and, and people that I know, um, growing up on the West Coast and in the Bay Area, my favorite leader who happened to be a football coach was Bill Walsh. Bill Walsh, his book, the, the Score Takes Care of Itself, you know, he talks about he had a belief in a system and it didn't matter who it was in the system or the belief. He made sure everyone adhered to his high standards. Everyone bought in. He was an outlier himself, right? He was coming up with new new ways to do an offense, new people. Um, so, you know, I, I really admire him and, and, and his body of work and his life. Well, I've been growing up in the Bay Area in the 80s myself. Uh, it's one of my favorite answers to this question after, what, 200-plus episodes of the uh, Sales Pipeline Radio, Bill Walsh, uh, and, you know, known as a great leader, for the reasons you said, you know, great leader of people with diverse backgrounds and interests, uh, you know, bringing new ideas to the table when no one else was, I don't think we're any good. Uh, so love that. Well, appreciate your time today. I want to thank our guest again today, Jerry Bruner, the Chief Revenue Officer for Scout RFP. Put some links to, so you can learn more about Scout uh, in our show notes. And uh, if you like this episode, want to hear more from Jerry, if you want to share this with some of your friends and peers, you can check it out in a couple of days. It'll be available on demand at salespipelineradio.com. Well, it's been great. We'll be here again next week. Until then, on behalf of my great producer, Paul, this is Matt Hines. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. All right. Thank you, Matt. You've been riding along on the Sales Pipeline, brought to you by the good folks at Hines Marketing, right here on the Funnel Radio Network for Outwork listeners like you.